Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. You know, one of the greatest gifts that humans have ever been given is the gift of community. Community is what surrounds us with love, what what helps us from the very beginning of our lives to raise us and to inform us about this world that we inhabit. Community is really the, the backbone of our ability to function in this world as the people that God created us to be. Humans, you and I, are created to exist in community because we are the image of God, and God exists and has existed eternally in a holy community of love of Father, Spirit, and Son. Community is something that we deeply long for at every stage of our lives. When we're born from the very beginning, we just long for the comfort of being held by our mothers. As we grow, we long for and desire community. I I just remember the sweet little voice of my niece who Uh, was like four years old at the time, and after a long and arduous day of just hanging out with grown-ups, looked at her mother, my sister-in-law, and said, can we just go find some kids? I want to (laughs) play. And then to watch the fullness of this phenomena as she danced her heart out with complete strangers at a dance party at Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. I see it every day as my two-year-old turns into this communal being who's smothered by his classmates when I drop him off at preschool. Our need for and our desire for community is programmed into our identity as human beings. And that is why the church is such a powerful force in the lives of so many of us. That is the reason that the church exists. to to foster the love between human beings and one another, to foster the relationship and love between human beings and God to help us to live into our identity as the image of God. But one of the things that we uh, all find out at some point in time in our lives is that our communities fail us. Sometimes our communities don't live up to our hopes and our desires for them. Sometimes we don't live up to their hopes and desires for us. And unfortunately, communities, well, they're made up of humans. You all know how that goes, right? 
humans are flawed and we hurt one another whether we mean to or not. And this is often the reason that people end up isolated from or even excommunicated from the communities that raised them. So we're in the midst of a sermon series called In the Wilderness, and that is exactly the type of thing that we're going to be looking at today. So this series has us moving through the book of Numbers in order to trace the different types of human betrayal and failure that Moses and the Israelites worked through as the people of God. It's really the same types of failures and betrayals that we face as we navigate this broken world together. And the point of this all is to see how God's promises and God's faithfulness can help us to heal from the hurts imposed on us when human beings let us down. So if you missed the past couple of weeks, here's a quick rundown. Right? God promised the Israelites that he would bless them and bring them shalom, this, this peace that is restorative and reconciling in nature. And it turns out that these were a group of people who were in desperate need of this gift from God because they are just riddled with conflict. From the top of society all the way down to the bottom. You see, they don't really have a place to call home yet. They have a promise of a home, but all they really are is a wandering band of nomads following a pillar of cloud and fire through the desert to a place that they've never gone before. And it wears on them. And quite frankly, they do not care to continue on a lot of the time. And so their leader, a man named Moses, the leaders always bear the brunt of the displeasure of the people, right? And so he is consistently betrayed by those very people whom God told him to lead. First, his siblings, his, his closest people in his circle of trust, they, they betray him by trying to usurp his authority, grumbling about how they are just as gifted by God to be leaders of these people. And then immediately after that situation is resolved, Moses appoints like 12 of his closest buddies, the leaders of the tribes, to go out and to spy out this new promised land that God is giving to them. And they return, and, and 10 of them, betray Moses by spreading disinformation about the land, trying to dissuade the Israelites from going into it. They say, you have heard that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we're here to tell you that this land devours its inhabitants. In fact, if the land doesn't kill us, you know who will? The giants. Big old people that live there. We absolutely cannot enter that land and expect to live. And by doing all of this, they are subtly or maybe not so subtly implying that God and or Moses has been lying to them all this time. So today we're going to read about the fallout from this betrayal of Moses' inner circle. 
So remember, they, they've said to the people, they're like, we can't go in there. It's bad news. Everything is going to fall apart. We'll be killed. So this is Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept at night. And all the Israelites complained. Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So the people buy into what the spies have reported. I mean, 10 out of 12 is pretty overwhelming evidence, right? And they're scared. And, and they begin what I call the cycle of complaint. They just continue to dwell on this bad report and cycle through the blame and the name-calling and the worst possible results. They catastrophize the situation. Y'all ever do that? Yeah. No. no, not you guys. They catastrophize the situation so badly that they want to go back to slavery in Egypt. They've heard God's promise and they don't want it anymore. They want what was comfortable, what they had before. And what they had before, it was awful. They were dying at the hands of the Egyptians left and right. Do you recall that Pharaoh issued a decree for every single baby boy born to be slaughtered? This is what they think is a better life. For them. And so that's where they are as a grumbling society. And so let's see what they decide to do next. So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Here it is. It's no longer the, like the idea stage. They're in the planning stage of a revolution. Let's get us a new leader who will take us back to Egypt. Well, you can imagine, you know, how well this went over with Moses. So this is the response. It says, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, the land that we went through as spies, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. So Moses, Aaron, and the two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua, begged the people, like, y'all, guys, don't do this, right? Just, just please. Just don't do this. They're trying to call the people back to the promise of God. 
and it goes about as well as you might expect. The people threaten to kill them. And so, the big guns show up, right? God appears. And God's like, hey, uh, in case you forgot, I was listening. Um, so, come on. And God's following dialogue with Moses shows us that God didn't see these people as simply betraying their leader, Moses. That God saw them as betraying God. And God doesn't take too kindly to this. And so this is what God says. And the Lord said to Moses, how long, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite all of the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they are. God's like, listen, these people, they don't want me. They don't want what I've offered them. They don't want my promises. They don't want my land. They don't want to be my people. Fine. I'll give them what they want. I offered a land that would help them flourish and, and, and have a, a life beyond their wildest dreams. But if they want Egypt, if they want the land of death, I'll show them the land of death. I will give it to them. And to Moses, don't worry. I'll make you a great nation. No big deal. I've done it before. Remember Abraham? Remember, I did this with Noah. I'll do it again. And honestly, like, on first reading, I'm like, yeah, go, God. That's right. You tell these people. And then I get to thinking, like, oh, wait. I have some questions. Because, like, this is God we're talking about. And God's not supposed to have the same emotions that I have. I'm just a stupid human. What about the grace and the mercy and all the lovey-dovey stuff? Well, here's the reality. What God is trying to show Moses and trying to show us is that he will let people have whatever it is that they want. If they don't want God, he will let them go on and live that way. It doesn't mean that God stops wanting them. It just means that they are unwilling to allow God to fulfill his promise to them. But Moses, being a good human, a much better and bolder human than you and I, has the same questions. But he speaks up. He's like, whoa. <laughs> Hold on there, God. Are you sure that you want to do this? And so this is the response of Moses. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians, they're going to hear of it. For in your might, you brought up this people from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them, and you go in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. 
if you kill this people all at one time, then the nations who have heard about you will say, hmm, it's because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land he swore to give to them that he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. And now, therefore, let the power of the Lord be great in the way that you promised when you spoke, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Just forgive the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have pardoned this people from Egypt even until now. Moses is like, hold up, God. Let's just take a moment to talk about this, all right? Let's look at the consequences. The people of this land, like, they're going to talk poorly about you if you go through with this. If you just let this whole nation, this whole generation walk away, that's not a good report. They're not going to think you're powerful. They're not going to think that you're good. And he, here's the reality. The call of Israel was to spread the goodness and the power of their God, the Lord, Yahweh, throughout all of the land. All of their neighbors were supposed to know who God was by the way the Israelites flourished and conducted themselves. And so this type of report would do the opposite. And not only that, it would not seem to be in line with these attributes of who God is. Slow to anger, abounding in loyal covenant love, a God who is forgiving. These are the words that God spoke to Moses about himself. So this is the Lord's response. Then the Lord said, I do forgive, just as you have asked. Nevertheless, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the people who have seen my glory and the signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet tested me these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, you know, because he has a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring into the land which we went, and his descendants shall possess it. God's like, fine, Moses. You're right. But these people, I'll keep them alive. I'll hang out with them. But they're not going to my land. They're not getting it, okay? Their kids will get it. They don't get to live into the fullness of my promise. They want Egypt, I won't give them Egypt, but I'm not giving them the promised land. That's something that their kids will enjoy, which, by the way, is something new. That's me not visiting their iniquity onto them. 
And this right here is the reason that the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years to go like a couple days journey. God was waiting for the entire Exodus generation to pass on. They forfeit the fullness of God's promise to them, but God still did not abandon them. They lived their whole lives with God traveling amongst them, dwelling in their tabernacle, even though they would continue on and on again to cause massive problems for Moses and for the leaders of Israel. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you know, most of us here have not yet led a migrant band of stubborn people through the wilderness. I said, yet. Yeah. anything could happen. <laughs> but I think that many of us have probably faced uh, similar type of feelings, similar situations as Moses finds himself in. You know, perhaps you ran a business and had to deal with poor employee morale that led to a super toxic work environment that had people and you yourself questioning your ability to lead. Right? Upper management problems. Perhaps you have been a teacher, led a classroom of students who rebelled against your teaching style, your assignments, and even probably the way your voice sounded, because that's what kids do. Or maybe you raised children who are professionals at questioning and rebelling against your goodness and love for them, right? It starts way too early. And just so you know, you know, like, no, not y'all. But churches do this a lot too, okay? A lot of times leaders or pastors of the church have to face this kind of stuff, especially as of late in our world. But the point is this. We are often betrayed by the communities that we lead. But the situations aren't unique to leaders. Sometimes we are hurt, disowned by the communities that we simply belong to. Perhaps it's because we change. And sometimes it's because the people that we, that we loved and we built our lives with change. Something happens, you know, a bad report of the past or of the future and it severs the bonds that once tied us together. And it leaves us lacking in our area of greatest need, the need to be in communion with one another. So the question is like, what are we supposed to do when this happens, when we're, when we're displaced or disowned or betrayed by a community of people? I think that Moses and his leadership have some good direction for us in this. What Moses and, and Aaron with him, Caleb and Joshua, what they do is they, they hold fast to two unchanging truths, the person and the promises of God. See, Moses goes before the people, and they plead with them not to forsake God's promises. And I believe that this is as much for the benefit of Moses as it is for the people. 
Moses needs to be reminded that God has promised peace and goodness to him. And then Moses appeals to who God is. Abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving. Slow to anger. These attributes that set God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, apart from all of the other gods that the ancient world believed in. All of these attributes that God wants human beings to exhibit, even in the midst of our hardest times, in the midst of our betrayal. And so the healing here begins by leaning in to who God is rather than the people and the communities that hurt us are. By leaning into these attributes of, of loyal, steadfast love, of, of forgiveness, and of being slow to anger, we set ourselves apart from the broader like outrage culture that encourage us to write people off and to seek vengeance and retribution against the people who have caused us harm. Leaning into these attributes allows us to show people the face of Jesus who took these attributes to extremes never before seen. I once uh, heard a, a, a man by the name of Sandy, uh, who was a guy who helped alcoholics recover from alcoholism. I once heard him talk about forgiveness. He said that, you know, he was helping somebody out, and, and that person asked him, you know, well, when am I allowed to just not forgive someone? Because it's hard, right? So when, who am I allowed to not forgive? He said, you know, I looked at him, and I thought, you know, there's only one situation in which you are permitted to not forgive. You see, there was a man, a, a teacher, who lived 2,000 years ago, he was betrayed by his community and nailed to a cross by them to die. And on his way out of this life, he forgave the people who did that to him. And so I suppose if anyone ever does anything worse to you than nailing you to a cross to die, you have my permission not to forgive them. And that's really it, right, friends? Like, it's easy not to forgive. It's, it's easy in the short run to just be mad and carry all of this stuff around with us. But it's not easy in the long run. It's easy to lash out, to seek retribution, to try to tear down the humans who hurt us. It's easy to get on the Internet and just disparage an entire community of people. But that's not the, mo the move that Moses made. It's certainly not the move that Jesus ever made. And who on earth had more authority to do so? What they did was they chose to lean into who God is. And that's what we are called to do as well. So when we look at our lives and these, 
these communities that we've been a part of, the communities that we will be a part of, that will let us down. It's our call to focus in on the promises and the person that God is. That's how we begin to heal. And that's the gift that Jesus has given to us. The gift of community in the first place and the gift of healing and creating new and beautiful communities as we go on into the future. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of this community, for the gift of your church, for the gift of uh, just the healing that we find through your son, Jesus, through your word. And so, God, we just ask that you would continue to heal our hearts from our past hurts. We would not go on and be people who, who hurt others in the future, that, that by healing we would break the cycles of, of chaos, the cycles of hurt that exist in our world, that it can stop with us and that healing can begin. So we lean into who you are and who you have promised us that we will become if we just rest in Jesus. If we just allow who you are to become more of who we are. We love you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.